0: The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John
1: Sacco. Well, today we're here for another episode of Pile of Scrap, and I'm with uh, Brian Schein of Manitoba
0: and current ISRI chair. Welcome, Brian. (laughs) Thank you very much. Happy to be here today with you, John.
1: Well, Brian, you and I share a couple things in common. You are a current chair. I'm a former chair. Mm -hmm. We're both in YPO together. Yes. So I think that's great. So... You know, we're doing the podcast, Pile of Scrap. What it is, is we're bringing forth information. This isn't just about Sierra and the equipment we sell. It's about this industry that people actually are listening to. And I'm getting people texting me emails. So it's really good. And, you know, I think people need to hear from the chairman of ISRI. uh, Because, you know, how passionate both you and I are on on this trade associate. ISRI is the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, for those who don't know what it is. And... I just think it's an important message. Well, I
0: appreciate the opportunity to be here today, and I've got to say I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with what you're doing, Don. I think it's such, it's delivering information to our industry and to our suppliers and our customers and our and our friends in the industry, and I really applaud you for, for what you're doing, so thank, thank you for you. the opportunity. Well, the hey,
1: listen, we go back, we're friends, you know, for full transfer, you and I are oh, friends, yeah, but, uh, you know, I think you bring important Part to what's happening in the industry today, as as the chairman. So first, Brian, tell us a little bit about your background, your family business, how many generations are you, you know, and the, the whole thing. So set it up and tell us a little bit about you. All right,
0: happy to do so. Happy to tell that story. So uh, my great grandfather immigrated to this country and settled From? in Buffalo, New York, somewhere in Eastern Europe. We okay. actually don't know if it was Russia or Poland. The lines were were moving at that time and. Um, so settled in Buffalo, and I'm not sure exactly why, but but picked Buffalo. Either and, am I. And I'm happy he did now. <laughs> but at the time, I don't know. Anyway, um, Buffalo was a very industrial town at, at that point in the early 1900s. In fact, it was the sixth largest city in the country at that point. We've since slipped down the rankings. But he um, unfortunately couldn't speak English because he had just settled in, in this country. So he couldn't get a job in a local factory. And it's so the way many scrap recyclers got started. He started with a push cart walking the city streets of buffalo I had to feed his family and he collected anything anybody wanted to get rid of whether it's paper rags a uh, little bit of metals he would bring it back sort it out sell it and then start the process over eventually worked his way to a horse and buggy and uh, um, my grandfather ended up going to university of buffalo law school and practiced law he graduated in 1932 so right at the depression the, the height uh, height of the depression and he tried to practice for about seven years and loved law but really couldn't make a living at it. Nobody had money to pay attorneys uh, post the Depression. So he ended up joining his dad in business, and they built up a, a actually a rag recycling company. They're the largest rag recycler in all of New York State. And then um, as uh, World War II ended, they invented synthetic rags, nylon, Dacron, Rayon, and it was like falling over a cliff. There was no economic value in, re- in recycling of rags anymore. So we switched gears to metals, and at that time, Buffalo had six steel mills and probably 35 steel scrap dealers. So he intentionally decided to go non-ferrous. And um, first we started with aluminum. We had 18, 20 local industrial accounts that were supporting us. And uh, and then we switched over to copper. My dad joined in 1970. He came out of the Air Force. He was a uh, C-130 pilot. And um, his he original in plan, Nam. he served a NAM. His original plan was to come back and get in commercial aviation, but that was everybody's plan coming back. And um, there was a recession in the early 70s, and he realized that um, he would be a, a second in command and waiting for the guy to die or retire before he'd, he'd move on. So he came down to the plant, and actually, there was some airplane scrap in our plant. We were servicing a, a Curtis Wright account at the time. And he knew all the parts and pieces, and that was his hook into the business. Nice. And he's been with us now for 49 years. He's still active, still flying. In fact, we have a company aircraft, and that's how we, we came to Chicago. So
1: it, do you know how similar the stories, of the background? Other, My dad was an immigrant. My dad was the immigrant, okay? Oh. And after World War II, he um, rags, bags, and medals from the farmers. Same thing.
0: Uh, I'm second generation. You're... What, fourth? I'm fourth, and, and I have uh, three sons, my oldest of which works for us. So, so you've got five tenors. generations. Five Fantastic. generations, yeah.
1: Such is the story of this great industry, and, and, and this is what makes up who we are and what we are. And it's why, you know, it, it, it's just really the best. So you, you are now the current ISRI chair. Tell us a little bit of how and why you got involved with ISRI to get to the path to where you are now chairman. How, what, what made you say, I'm going to get involved and I like this?
0: As I was uh, going through high school, I worked at the, at the plant and I, I knew I loved it. I knew that was going to be the field I was going to go in. I, I just absolutely, from the minute I started working in, in the recycling industry, knew that was for me. When I, before I graduated, I was supposed to go to New York City and work for a year for a, a world famous copper trader named Harold Sachs. Uh, three months before I graduated, he was over in London getting ready to make a speech and he went out for a run, and unfortunately for him and and for me, uh, keeled over and died in in London. So that was the end of my outside work experience. Instead, I graduated on Saturday, started working Monday, and I realized that here I am in this family business, and if I don't branch out and get involved both in industry and non-industry activities, I'm only ever going to know the family business way, and I wanted to bring something of value back. So that's why I started getting involved in, in trade association work, and um, I remember when I went to my first, this is dating me, but ISIS meeting, mm. which is Institute of Scrap Iron and Steel, and they merged with Neri, as you well know, to, f- to form ISRI. Anyway, I went to an ISIS meeting, and my dad said, how'd you like the meeting? And I said, well, it was, it was great. I loved it, except if I have to hear one more old timer say, remember the good old days, I said, <laughs> you know, I'm here now, and I want to talk about going forward. And fortunately, I still carry that attitude with me because every day is an a interesting opportunity in our business. So.
1: How great is it that Isis and Neri merged? We have a new name, Isri. Can you imagine trying to go up on the hill? (laughs) Hi, I'm from Isis. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm the chair of Isis. (laughs) ISIS, (laughs) Not very good. So,
0: okay, you're in your path. You were chapter president? Yes, I became chapter president because of my involvement in the empire chapter. And that was my first exposure to National. And I remember when I was coming up through the chapter, there were many officers and members that had an impression of National as being the ivory tower and, you know, us versus them. And and National's trying to tell us what to do. It was, and I thought to myself, that can't be right. It's made up of, of members. And when I went and got involved in National, um, I realized that I was right because it, it is members that make up National, that that choose to get involved and serve on committees and, and um, as chapter presidents, and and that's who makes up national. So, I really, uh, for me, uh, an important part of my administration was to to strengthen those links between national and and chapters yeah, and members. I,
1: well, look, when I was chairman, 2011 2012, there was a, there's a, there was this disconnect at times that the chapter presidents felt like it was us versus them, mm-hmm. and of course, when you get to become chairman or even when you become an officer, you realize that that's not even close to being the truth. So you know, we always battle that. And, and that battle still exists all these years later, really. Hmm. So let's talk, let's talk about the challenges of right now, our industry's face. Look, as chairman, you, you're in the deep dive of, of what we're working on on the Hill. What are our biggest challenges right now? What do the listeners need to know what's going on, the, the, the attack, if you will, on our industry?
0: Well, there, there's a few things leading up to this. So as, as you first become an elected officer, and, and Israel really, truly has set out a great process in terms of transitioning, people say to me, how can you commit 10 years at the chapter level to rise, to become the chapter president, and then another 10 years at national? And the way I look at it, for, this, this is your career. This is why we do this. This is who we are and in, in the industry that we're involved with. So you want to, want to be involved and at the table. So when you first become elected as an officer, you start to imagine what it'll be like as chair. And you ask you know, all former chairs, including yourself, and you were a huge <laughs> mentor and guide to me, which I very much appreciate. And almost every past chair said to me, um, it's very difficult to prepare because you don't know what issues are going to be at the time you're a chair. You might think you know, and I'll give you an example. I, I assumed that I was going to be going to China quite a bit because that was a dominant player and, right. and outlet. And that I've not gone once as chair to China, and but yet I've gone to India three times. And So it's indicating where the, the market's moving to and, and other parts of the world as well. The biggest issues right now are, are preserving and protecting the fact that recycling is separate from, from waste hauling and waste management, and they are separate activities. There are recyclables that come from those activities for sure, and that's important. And we have many members now that are involved in those activities generating recyclables. So that's an important element, but it does need to be a distinction, and, and so that's a big issue.
1: Well, we, when I was chairman, 2011, October, we're in, we're in uh, Montecito, Santa Barbara. And the EPA had just put out in the reg- federal registry a new regulation that the definition of solid waste that put scrap metals or commodities in the solid waste. So we, we put together everybody. I, I think you were probably yeah. part of that. And we fought, it took three and a half years to so get relief from EPA because they realized they, they made an error in doing this. But we can't kill this. It seems it keeps coming, growing back, that they will keep wanting to lump our materials as waste.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a great point. And it really highlights the value of, of ISRI being an ISRI member, because to, to take on that battle yourself as an individual owner-operator would would be cost prohibitive. You couldn't you do couldn't it. You couldn't do it. So the fact is that th- this is the opportunity for ISRI to demonstrate its value, and they do day in and day out in protecting and preserving our industry. So... Um, right now, uh, because of the actions taken by China, which I actually support in that they were polluting the world. They were doing things that were not uh, open-air burning, for example, and, and some of the sortation practices. They, they, had a, they had a very immature recycling industry. It did not um, grow as quickly as the manufacturing sector within China. So, um, so they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And, and credit them, credit the Chinese government for recognizing it and, and I think doing good things it pushed back the system and now recycling is, is being challenged as as a practice here in the US. But I really think good things are going to come from this opportunity, this moment in time, because I I, I believe that ISRI is well positioned to support and and this is an everyday effort. You can't just Take your eye off that ball and lose those contacts and relationships and then step back into it. So every day Israel is fighting what
1: for I, What agency are we working with the most right now at national? You know, Where's the efforts right now? As chairman, where's, where do you have Rob and What are we focusing on right now with who are we working with?
0: I, I think really the, the most important relationship at the moment is EPA. And I'll give you an example. We, um, we held meetings in July in Washington, and we had the administrator of the EPA, Andrew Wheeler, come to speak to us. He was given a standing ovation as he entered the room, and it's so different than the old mentality of, you know, that's the you have to watch out for and be concerned with. It is a very collaborative relationship at this point. We have a seat at the table, and we're one of of many that are working towards making sure that products that are made, produced, and then discarded are recyclable. And that's an important element for us because... Sometimes when you're a recycler, you feel like you're on an island you're you're pointed to as causing problems when in fact we're actually here all to to solve problems but if they if the manufacturers produce goods that aren't recyclable, then how can we be held responsible for as a byproduct of our recycling activities
1: so design for recycling every year isri has that uh, award we present to a company that mm-hmm. has really and their products and their manufacturing has designed it completely for recycling yes. um, when we go to the hill and go to the different uh, agencies and we get deliver that message right right now what's what's the feedback from them are they like we understand your position and what we want to work in creating this or is it like no you guys are still the problem
0: you know we've we've had design for recycling for over 30 years and um and we struggled with it at different times because we kept finding kind of the same type of companies, and we weren't getting great participation. Right now, I think, my opinion, and I've always had a, a particular interest in design for recycling, I don't think the appetite has ever been better for uh, the understanding of why that's important. This past year, for example, we honored Nestle Water for their development of a 100% PET recycled bottle in distribution of their, their water bottles. and So that is a design for recycling. Uh, that consumes recycled PET, and it's a, it's a really tremendous product, and it was an honor. The CEO of the division came to L.A. and accepted the award and delivered a, a really phenomenal speech that embraced, and and that's what we need. We need manufacturers to partner with recycle recyclers so that we can do our job effectively, and so it is getting more play on the hill.
1: Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much of an issue with with ferrous materials, copper, aluminum, stainless steel, brass, You know, those are the easy recyclable products. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have issues. But plastic is this just gigantic, what, gorilla elephant? I mean, it's just everybody, oh, no, we want to move away from plastic. And yet, I I was doing a podcast with Jason Young. Mm -hmm. And people who design the products are also designing products that the consumer wants, that looks good. And they're doing an aluminum bottle, but with a plastic top and that contaminates it. So it's not—it's qu- cool because they're designing it for the consumer, but they haven't designed it completely
0: for the, for the end of life. Right, That's right, it's, it's still a work in process. This is not an easy thing. We talk to people all over the country in terms of this effort and there's a cost associated, but what I love about the challenge right now and, and people talking about recycling as being a, a struggling area and, and mostly focused on, on plastic, the reality is that this is this creates the opportunity we need the consumer backlash so that we can we can apply pressure and solve the problem as recyclers so this is a working process plastic isn't going away it will change over time and we need to learn how to better and more effectively handle it so we're israel is making a huge effort in the area of plastics because there's a lot of membership opportunity and a lot, lot they need the services and and well, we work together that, okay paper and plastic right now
1: we were exporting this country huge tonnages to china yes and some other asian countries well as we know the plastic exportation is pretty much dried up uh, paper values commodity pricing has dropped dramatically when we go there needs does there not need to be some form of incentive from the government To start putting more actual paper mills and plastic consumers so that these products as much as we want to keep them out of the landfill if there's nobody consuming them and there's no market for it they're going to end up in the landfill so what's our efforts what's ISRI's efforts in that area and what feedback have we gotten so far
0: uh it's it is twofold for sure the government has a role to play in this but we don't want government to mandate for example uh particular elements of this because if they do that, um, there's nothing to say that they can't and go into other areas that already have ready markets. So we need the government's help for sure, and we're working with them, for example, on infrastructure so that infrastructure is a very needed, much needed thing within our, our country, and it 's very bipartisan. The question of course, is how to fund it and that 's a whole different story. but um, at some point we will have to make a commitment to to fund infrastructure development and redevelopment within our country, and that will boost all all commodities. Well, one element of infrastructure development is is the use of recycled content. Because that'll uh, help drive markets. So you're right. If the economics are not there, it's, it's not going to get recycled. People aren't. We're not here for uh, benevolency. And yeah, yeah, we're not here so, for fun. No, no. We need to make money at it. We're employing people and we're paying taxes. And, and so we need to have markets that, that work. And the government does have a role to play in that. Um, but I think really what's going to happen is that's going to be an element, but also innovation is going to happen because it's going to have to happen. Um, we all recognize that there's only so much landfill space and, and that's not what we want to be doing with these products that do have the potential to get recycled. So. It's going to take an effort on the part of um, creative and industrial. and um, we talked about the history in our industry and, and we do all collectively represent a very entrepreneurial area and um, very fluid, and we will react and respond appropriately. And this is the transition, the challenge, but this is what creates opportunity. and
1: oh, I agree the opportunity is going to be somebody's going to create the technologies to start consuming these products in America to where we don't have to rely on the export. but you know again, like California. You can't put a paper mill in California. You need land, yeah. water, and energy. In California, you can't afford any of that. Right. Okay, so hopefully we get there. So, look, you're the chairman, and, th- and this podcast is going to go out all over the country. People, listen. What? Tell your shot, Brian. <laughs> why should people... You know, there's people who need to join Israel who aren't, and there's people who are thinking, well, these markets are tough and I might drop out. Tell them why they need to stay. Go ahead. It's your turn, man. Well, Let them know. All right.
0: Thanks for that opportunity. Um, I appreciate that very much. And, and the reality is that, that ISRI does play a critically important role. Um, there are member benefits from being involved with the group that go beyond, um, well beyond any any dues that you may pay in terms of the opportunity to network and, and build relationships that benefit your business. I talked about within my own family business, if I wasn't involved I I'd, I'd probably maybe wouldn't be in business today because these relationships that you build create opportunity and whether it's joint ventures, which I have involved in several, um, whether it's uh, trading your particular materials and expanding your knowledge base, uh, ISRI members are able to talk to each other in a, in a way that, that you wouldn't have that opportunity. So. I think there there's many critical reasons to be in part and, and involved in ISRI. The staff that we have in place is top-notch and truly represents the industry in interest. And I don't think you can – you couldn't buy that on your own. No way. No way. That influence, so,
1: is, that influence you cannot – one company cannot influence. But together as a whole, we, we sure can influence.
0: That's for sure. And, and ISRI is tremendously well-valued. I've seen it in action myself. I was – I'm mentioning this July meeting that we just held in D.C., and one of the um, elements and the excitement was for me to go along and watch a bill being crafted and seeing Robin Weiner, our Israeli president, longtime president, in action and seeing her command the room and the respect that she is afforded. And, and if she wasn't there in position with those relationships— this bill would have been written, and it would have been adverse to our industry. And so the, the respect that she immediately commands as she goes into the room because of her approach to this is just you know second to none, and it's critical for our interests.
1: But, you know, in California, again, for listeners, they need to hear this because in California, we had to sue CalRecycle because they wanted to lump our commodities as waste. And we are not waste handlers. And we sued And we won. But we sued on behalf of ISRI. And the only way you get relief is by being an ISRI member. That will pay your dues for a lifetime. Think about, if we go into the, if we're waste people, so we won that. And so in California, the only relief you get is you have to be an ISRI member because we sued on behalf of ISRI. So, you know, as a former chair, you know, you and I, we're the choir, right? But, you know, I want people to listen to this and understand ISRI has... If it doesn't enhance your business, then you're absolutely not paying any attention to the benefits. I mean, look look at the friendship you and I have, the networking you and I have, all our friends, mutual friends, and all the business we have done from trading materials, for me, with machinery sales, mm-hmm. even in our markets, in our scrapyard, because, you know, we have our scrapyard. It's immeasurable, the value of ISRI. And I, I just, it, that's what frustrated me the most as chairman, mm-hmm. is how membership didn't understand what we were doing.
0: Well, at the end of the day, that's exactly right. And it's up to us all to collectively make sure that that message is is sent loud and clear because it is absolutely an opportunity of a lifetime to be involved. And um, I I think the most impressive thing to me to date as chair has been the member involvement and seeing the skills and passion that members bring to to this activity and to um, the work that we all do. And it's really, um, it's really heartwarming to, to be involved in that and see this work in action. Because as chair, I, I know, you know this much. And um, to have the members around me supporting and, and supporting ISRI is just phenomenal. It's really been great.
1: Well, Brian, listen, this has been fun for me to sit here with, with a friend, the chairman you. of ISRI. Thank you for the insight. I, I'm hoping listeners really can grasp what it is we do at ISRI. I thank you for your time and your leadership, thank you. your dedication to without the dedication and your integrity that you bring to the position. You know, that's very important. I thank you for that. And thank
0: you for the time we've had here today. Thanks, John. It's been great. I, I love the friendship. Love you. And thank you. Great job. Thank you, sir. Cheers. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.